The Energy Transition Podcast takes you directly to the cutting edge of the global energy sector's shift, with a specific focus on the critical role played by oil and gas, as well as the pathways developing around a lower carbon future. Your hosts, Leslie Beyer, Energy Workforce and Technology Council CEO, and Dan Pickering, founder of Pickering Energy Partners, are joined by Josh Lowry, president of Upright Digital. Each episode engages industry thought leaders in an exploration of market-moving trends and topics, including new technologies, ESG, capital markets, inclusion and diversity, workforce innovation, regulatory influences, and the voice of the people. Join us as the Energy Transition Podcast looks at the state of the traditional energy and oil field service sectors emerging technologies, and the path ahead in a world of lower carbon energy development. Welcome to the Energy and Transition Podcast. My name is Josh Lowry. We're coming to you live from the OTC 2023. I'm joined, as usual, with Mr. Dan Pickering. How are you, sir? Josh, I'm doing great. Guess what, man? It is <laughs> May in Houston, which means it's about <laughs> Summer 95 up. degrees. I was walking in from the parking lot. I feel like I'm drenched in sweat, and so... You look great. This is going to be a hot, hot interview. So listen, I will give you a minute, because we've uh, we've been drinking espresso. We're doing great. <laughs> nice. S sitting our we came in when it was cool. I thought it was a lovely day. It's not <laughs> yeah. raining, yeah. and it's not humid, high humidity, 105. That's so a good point. we're good. That's a good point. So mm -hmm. that voice you hear is the... There, she doesn't need much uh, introduction to a lot of circles, but that is Cindy Taylor the Chief Executive Officer of Oil States International. Hello, how are you? I'm great, thank you, Josh. Nice, thank Good you for joining you. Thank us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is, so this came about at OTC when we're in the Energy Transition Pavilion here. Um, you guys were winning some awards and we know some of your team and we were taking some pictures afterwards and I said, hey look, this is a great time to talk about some of the awards. And one of the things they brought up to us was this is your second year in a row to win both a, I guess what's a traditional way to say it, core, let's go call it a core um, business, and then also some energy uh, transition trophies, right? Do you want to tell us about I, the last I couple would, years? I would absolutely love it. And so this is, by name, Offshore Technology Conference, <laughs> and in the past it's always been geared towards conventional oil and gas, obviously. And I didn't know there was a p transitional energy pavilion, but I am very pleased to kind of comment and be part of that. Uh, we are proud of our team, our technical team, our engineers, our research and development that has actually given us recognition three straight years, five total awards. And to your point, it's been a mix of technologies that advance conventional oil and gas extraction and production, uh, but also transitional type investments as well. And so since we are in the transition energy mm -hmm. Plaza here, I'll talk about those two. Uh, but importantly, we're trying to improve conventional oil and gas, and I always say, let's make it competitive for the long term. Mm -hmm. Decarbonize a critical energy source for this industry, but don't be blind to revenue and customer opportunities that I, I do use the term core technologies, and what I mean by that, this company was around long before I was and certainly before I was the CEO. We have decades of experience manufacturing high-end uh, products in conventional applications, unique technologies uh, for challenging work environments. And so take that expertise and technology into new applications. 
uh, one of the awards, actually I guess we got it in 2021, was a riser system to uh, for minerals extraction. And if you talk about battery technology, solar advancements, off offshore wind or floating wind advancements, you need the rare earth metals. Mm -hmm. And we were interviewed by Heart Energy earlier about some of the initiatives and the teams and customers we're working with. And while the metals company is new and outside of our sector, companies like Oil States and All Seas are not new. Mm -hmm. Meaning we've taken our technologies and adapted those into different applications to advance the expansion of energy technologies in a more carbon friendly way. Uh, so that that's certainly one, and mm -hmm. we have in our booth, I'd love for people to look at it, we have uh, developed a prototype that is DNV certified, which being in this business, you know how important that is, uh, patent pending for a, we call it FTLP, floating TLP for wind applications, mm -hmm. and again, these are under development, newer technologies, but it's targeting this energy expansion that you hear so much about. Is it the same teams that you've always had and you just moved them as like, hey, here's what we're going to work on now? You know, what I love about it, the answer to that is yes. We have great longevity and retention with our key critical people. And I always say during uh, 2020, we were talking about the pitfalls of COVID and how it hurt yeah. the industry broadly. My team was not sitting around doing nothing, waiting for work to come. They're trying to find new ways, new technology adaptations mm. to bring us business, or we wouldn't be talking about mm. these technologies. Either ones that are in what I call my core conventional oil and gas applications or transitional type applications. You mean, uh, sorry Dan, you mean those are like early, those are 2020 thought processes that said let's let's look at things differently now? They take a long time to develop. Mm -hmm. Anything in deep water, harsh environment does not come to market in short order. Yeah. And a lot, there are a lot of thought and engineering expertise. In the case of floating wind, we're familiar with seeing windmills on land. Mm -hmm. There are certainly some along the coastline, not so much in the United States, but certainly in Scotland and other areas where they are fixed in shallow water venues across the world, but there's really no floating application mm -hmm. at this point in time. So this is core technology. Tension leg platforms were used for right. decades to produce oil and gas in more mid-water depths. As we've gone deeper and deeper, we've migrated to FPSOs, but that TLP technology, we owned the space for all the connection systems to secure those TLPs to the seabed, oil states mm -hmm. did. So now let's take something that has really been, uh, the technology has moved away from it because of the depths of water we're, the, we're exploring, but let's use that technology in an application that gives it a second life. Cindy, you're, you're talking about two things that I think are really interesting. One is time, you said it takes a long time to develop applications for, for deep water, harsh environment type opportunities. Um, when you think about, if you look 10 years out in the future for oil states, uh, you're starting to generate revenues from energy expansion, energy transition, whatever you want to call it. Um, how big a business could this be? It, it will take some time, but is this going to be 10% of your business or could it be half your business? Oh, I think it could be half. The one is, well, what's the timeline that yep. we're talking Ten about? Years. Yep. And part of that is the maturation of the oil and gas plays that are there. I do think there's a fabulous runway 
particularly for deep water oil and gas globally. Mm -hmm. And we're beginning to see increased bidding, quoting activity around that. But then in addition to that, we're seeing new avenues to invest in uh, more non-traditional energy applications. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of funding for it. Part of the challenge, if we want to talk about a challenge of a company my size, is where do you get the investment money to pursue both avenues, to right. bring advanced, better technology. And I always say the best thing you can do is invest a dollar in the most carbon neutral manner you can. Mm -hmm. And that can be conventional oil and gas in deep water applications, or it can be alternative energy. And green is not green. You know that. There is nothing, there's no such thing as 100% green energy anywhere. There is also, we were, I was talking with the CEO of the metals company, there is also nothing uh, that doesn't have some environmental impact of some type. Mm -hmm. But let, let's look for the best alternatives that create affordable, reliable energy for a growing population and focus the dollars there. Many governments, IRA in the United States, other credits and funding in other the European countries, as an example, can advance that. But I can use to quantify something for you. I was preparing for a lot of the um, shareholder investor circuits and Westwood put out the prediction or plans, if you want to call it that, for 26,500 floating wind platforms. Hmm. I have to tell you that really? that is a mind boggling number. Where, where are all the minerals, the metals coming from? Where are the engineering capabilities, the manufacturing, the key sides? Where are the installation vessels? The reality is none of those things exist today in great quantities, right. but if they do, they're in this industry. They're coming from oil and gas. Right, yeah. and so, but I'll also tell you, because of that fact pattern, this is going to take longer than people expect that it will. Uh -huh. When you say fact pattern, you mean just all the logistics that go behind what you're... Supply chain, yeah, okay. supply chain, logistics, mm -hmm. capital needs. You know, this, there's a lot of capital that's going to have to be deployed here. We talk about that a lot on this. Yeah. yeah. And the lack of that it, what's coming. And, so, and pro I'll, I'll tag into that, that worrisome to me, I think I have great people, great manufacturing expertise, lots of designs. Am I going to get the funding as a deemed to be manufacturing support for conventional oil and gas, or does somebody want a pure play SPAC that has none of that background, yeah. but they can put the tagline of, I am investing solely in alternative energy. I, I think when you that's call, a mistake. You called it core earlier, and yes. I think that's really the key word. Cindy, you, you talked about a company of our size. So you're, you're clearly seeing these opportunities. Uh, market cap's 400 million, give or take. Uh, so where does the money come from? Is, can you, can, are, are you going to do these things in a side joint venture where you raise separate money for them? Do you ask so oil state shareholders to do it? Where, where do you think the money comes from? We're evaluating all the options. In the near term, the immediate term, I told my team, free cash flow is not an option, it's an imperative. Mm -hmm. So you have to live a life on your own, and yep. then you have to be very selective about the investments you make, both R&D investments as well as capital investments, and they're prioritized based on uh, really economics, but we're going to have to talk about growth. Growth has to have a factor in those decision-making, the capital allocation decision-making. Mm -hmm. Now, I am already talking to uh, investors to uh, private equity companies, mm -hmm. what are some 
option, what's the optionality around some of these newer technologies for funding? Uh, now the point is, I don't want to lose my rights to the technology. Right. Because that can be impactful for my shareholders. So we're just exploring many avenues, uh, but in the near term, for me, it means I, I will be more restrained about the capital that I deploy uh, just because there, there are going to be limits for the size of company and the resources that I have. Fortunately, I've got a great balance sheet now. It was not, uh, didn't feel very good during COVID mm -hmm. when you lose 80% of the land rig count in about 100 days. Um, it was tough. It was tough on this industry. It set us back a bit. Um, but we're in better shape now to make mm. newer, better investments. And I'll also tell you, we're working as uh, consortiums and teams with other suppliers. Uh, it may be the resource owner in this case around the deep sea minerals is the metals company, uh -huh. but they're working with people throughout our industry for the pumps, in my case, the riser system and uh, the vessels. It, you know, Transocean is interested. There's plenty of people out there that uh, are trying to participate in this where it makes economic sense uh -huh. for them to do so. Okay. One of the things Tell this audience, you sit on a couple of you know, high profile, big public company boards that are not involved in energy. So tell our audience who those are so that you can then tell us how you message to them around the energy transition. Because it's, you know, they're not energy people, you are. How do you explain it to them? Well, uh, so the first one, public company board that I sit on is uh, AT&T. Mm -hmm. And we can say they're not an energy company, but I'll tell you, they sure are. They consume a lot of energy, mm -hmm. right? And if they're going to deploy yeah. more and more uh, phones, wearables, iPads, fiber, energy is obviously core, right? Mm -hmm. And the people have to be able to pay their energy bills to mm -hmm. afford this type of technology. And I think that's part of what's missing in people's mindset sometimes is that if you just want to eliminate conventional oil and gas, massive sacrifices had to have to be made. You're going to have to sacrifice some of the things that you've come to love mm -hmm. uh, that are powered by energy of various sources. And so they're not going to do that. <laughs> that's my one. Now, they had the beauty where they actually had pretty good resilient year during the horrible market of COVID because everybody became so dependent on connectivity mm -hmm. during that period of time. Uh, but they really do understand the need, their ability to scale depends upon affor affordable, reliable mm -hmm. energy, right? And have, have they made a commitment to net zero? In any way? Uh, that not a commitment to net zero, but they have an incredibly robust sustainable sustainability program mm -hmm. that hits all the tenets of what they can control within yep. their footprint, if you will. Yep. But good. Um, now I'm trying to remember the second. Okay, the, the other, the other board uh, that takes a bit of time right now is the um, Federal Reserve Board of Dallas, mm -hmm. and so. Um, there, they actually do look to me to bring a culmination of industry knowledge, not only my own, but what I gather mm -hmm. uh, through my role to bear, because it's such a major driver of the Texas economy, yep. at which we sit in the Texas, the Dallas is obviously the lead in the Texas economy, but also an input to the broader U.S. economy in terms of drivers for inflation. And so they uh, understand our business and they have many 
uh, researchers who study the industry, we compare notes quite significantly, but their mindset is more, uh, okay, affordable, reliable mm -hmm. energy drives the global economy, certainly drives the U.S. economy. And in Texas, it's a critical part of our economy. We need to understand it more fully and be thoughtful uh, about what we print and produce, uh, you know, down the road as well. Mm -hmm. So, you can't let someone on the Federal Reserve Board get away from a podcast without, talk to us about inflation. How bad is it? We killing? Are we are we stopping it or are we not stopping well, it? Well, you, you, you read the statistics like I do, and so inflation is coming down. I, probably one of the more troubling thing is that workforce participation remains at about a four-decade low, uh -huh. and with reduced workforce worker participation, uh, the un unemployment levels are low, and therefore the people who are eager, bright, talented, and want to work, their wages are getting bid up, and that's driving particularly service cost inflation. Uh -huh. I would tell you goods inflation has come down. And actually, you know, oil and gas last year with crude over 100, and we all know the stories of nat gas, particularly what happened on the demand side because of the Russia-Ukraine situation, that was inflationary as well. Uh, now, where the Federal Reserve, and it, I always get, I'm very thoughtful about the lower income American uh -huh. and the impact that higher interest rates has on their ability, credit card debt, their ability to take out a mortgage. And I'm very sympathetic to that. But at the same time, I'm constantly reminding which one is worse, higher interest rates or the inflationary impact on their ability to go to work every day, mm -hmm. their, what they buy in the grocery store, right. and how they take care of education and their kids. So there's a trade-off. And the Fed has a tough job. I, I love this, and you can love that analogy or hate it. They got two fires burning and one bucket of water, meaning financial mm -hmm. stability on the one hand and the delicate balance there coupled with the need to reduce inflation. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure she told us if interest rates are going up or not, <laughs> but I love the analogy of two fires in one bucket. Well, and, and importantly, <laughs> that the there Fed an increase is today. There was a quarter point, twenty-five basis yeah. points. It was today, hour yeah. ago. Yep. I think now the market is going to put their minds around: Are we done? Can we sit this one out for right. a month see or two, happens. a quarter or two, and see what happens? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think they did a good job messaging that over the last however many months it's been. Yeah. Cindy, when you um, when you think about energy transition, uh, you talked about a long time frame to get there, right? That, that it, this is going to be a process. Um, you also you just said you thought maybe you could get 50% of your business or more over time from other spots. Um, does, how's that, how's that sit internally? You know, you've got folks who've served one industry for a long period of time. Um, do you find it's, are, are people excited about attacking a new challenge? Are they disappointed? It's like, wait a second, we've always been oil and gas. H how do you manage the, the sort of duality internally? Uh, I'll, t I'll be honest with you, it's a little of both. And part of it is probably the regions that you live and operate in, and part of it is what job you're doing every day. And not surprisingly, uh, somebody working out on a land well site in Midland, Odessa, that's done that all their life, that's how they think, right. and I'll be. And what pains me more than anything is how 
so many industries, companies, and hardworking individuals are painted with a negative brush because of what they've done all their life, which is providing reliable, affordable energy to mm -hmm. the world. That That's hurtful to people. And I could get on a whole nother uh, bandwagon here. I think it creates a, more of a divide in our country that is not necessary, mm -hmm. and particularly a rural urban divide mm -hmm. that I, I see. Now, I'll put that in contrast possibly to a lot of the operations I have globally, whether that's uh, in Southeast Asia, Europe, they're more advanced. We think about everything you hear from the United States politicians, but we're way behind in terms of even a thought about supply chain and metals and minerals to fuel this accelerated development, leasing, permitting of offshore wind, we're behind. But the people that are on the front lines in areas like the Clarion Clipperton zone that nobody's heard of till recently for the metals, or Japan, or the North Sea, or other areas that are moving forward with this, they see, again, a longer runway and a new sense of enthusiasm around, we all want to work and enjoy what we do and bring beneficial products to market. And so they're, yeah, they're kind of excited about these things. And I'm so proud of the technologies that they brought to bear, mm -hmm. uh, many of which were learned, though, in our conventional or core areas of work. And, and to her, your, I think one of the first questions you asked there was her view on this energy transition. And when we were talking earlier, um, it was clear that energy expansion is, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is the preferred term. And, you know, honestly, I, I <laughs> agree. I understand what that is. And the more we've done this, it's, it is, a tra a, the transition is happening, but really we are figuring out energy expansion. And I don't know if you want to comment on that a little bit as well, just. Yeah, I absolutely will. I mean, everything we do in this world is predicated on po projections of demographics, population growth, what are the amounts, what are the quantities, as well as uh, elevating the standard of living in countries that, that do not enjoy what we have here. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, one of the OPEC countries, when they, quite frankly, were being criticized for a production cut, kind of made the comment in a very non-threatening, calm way that said, my average uh, individual that lives in my country consumes the equivalent of one refrigerator. Okay, and so you've got to put that yeah. in the context oh. that there are places in the world that need and want to elevate their standard of yes. living. It's all predicated on energy at the end of the day. So I just wish that people would have more of an open mind. And I look at where we are today. Uh, think about the fuel, the gas stations that are on every corner where you turn around, the grid infrastructure that we have in place, the power lines, that didn't happen in five years, mm. didn't happen in 10 years. Why would we ever think that any type of true transition happens that fast? And I always say, don't kill a critical, essential enterprise till you have one ready to stand in its place in an affordable, reliable right. way. There are, I could, I could talk about all the hurdles I see all day long from expanding battery technology, supply chain, the reliance on the Congo, reliance on China for so many of the supply chain, or you can look with a different lens and accept we're going down this path. I think it's going to be a longer path than people think. We're probably going to need all of the above, coupled with, I, I'm more take the under on, on population growth, but I can assure you the quality of life in other regions is going to advance, and that's going to take energy. Mm -hmm. My other comment, you know I could talk all day about this, 
you don't really go out and mine rare earth minerals without diesel, mm. trucks, workers. So you almost need fuel, conventional fuel to right. even have a chance to expand the newer technologies, I'll call them. We're, we're coming up on a time limit here, but I, you know, I, I want to point out something. And you've said metals and minerals a lot. And is that, I mean, on, obviously it's, it's on purpose, but why well, so much focus on metals and minerals? Part of it is I'm just a simple girl. I've been interviewed now three times <laughs> because one of the uh, interviews we had is around expanding alternative technologies mm -hmm. and our mineral riser system. While it wasn't the award we got this year, it was recent. And you're hearing more and more curiosity and information about what these new technologies are, how they work, what the timeline is. And so there has been a lot of conversation around that today. Now, all of these rare earth minerals, I just did an interview with Heart Energy with, with the CEO of the metals company. Mm -hmm. And they're in the Clarion Clipperton zone, which is very resource rich in terms of the ores that are on the seabed. The problem is they're about 6,000 meters mm. below the surface. And so we have brought to bear technology to bring those to surface for development as an alternative to the reliance we have on Democratic Republic of the Congo, China, et cetera, that are gonna be necessary for battery technology, solar panels necessary for the blades on wind, so I always say, you really have to stop being aspirational in this and get tactical. These are the tactical steps that need to be in place mm -hmm. and supply, I, I can't even believe we're not talking about supply chain with all the problems we've had mm -hmm. post COVID. It, it, COVID does remind us that there's a practicality to all this that's really important. Um, where is the Clarion Clipperton zone? It's in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> and, and last I checked, you said 18,000, you said 6,000 meters. 6,000 meters, 18,000 18, feet. feet. Deep. So that's, deep. man, I, I'm, I'm a simple guy, but that's more than two miles. <laughs> it's deep. I don't know if it's more than three miles, but it's more than two miles. But so. as you know, this industry does that. Yeah, all the time. I know we're coming yep. up. I got one final question, Josh. I have to have the Yo, last word. You're good. Yeah. Cindy, you're a uh, highly successful and respected CEO. You're a female. There aren't a lot of them in the energy business. Um, give advice to up-and-coming young people. It doesn't have to be young women, but how do you, how do you succeed in this business? What, are there tricks? What can you tell us? Well, I first of all, learn the industry and love it like I love it. That's all I've ever done. And I become passionate about what we do every day and the people that work in it. And I think you have to have that as a foundation. Now, there, we were talking about Leslie Byer earlier. There are mm -hmm. a lot of us. I'm currently working with a group called Executive Women in Energy that mm -hmm. are taking uh, managers that are moving into the C-suite or into board roles and providing, rotating kind of two-year programs of development. And some of it is as simple as networking. Mm -hmm. uh, I always mandate if I'm going to do this, I want men on it. Mm -hmm. I want talented men because this is a workforce issue. It's not a women's right. issue. And uh, we're really actively trying to advance the skill set prepare females for what they're going to face. And I, I would say, I always think we've come a long way and I'll have to say this because I'm at OTC and we went up for the reception for the award recipients. I was one of two ma females in a room of a hundred. Uh -huh. And I, my people are so used to me, 
I said, I was like, wow, look at this room. And nobody even knew I was talking about. Lloyd did. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I know where she's going. Uh, so we've got a ways to go. Yeah. Well, but, you do an excellent job. And it's not just, you know, young women that look up to you. It's well, been, a, I, we were talking, it's a real pleasure to know you and be around you. And I, I know that uh, this is a, you made time for us today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for this. We really do. And we have to do a, a very quick lightning round. Okay. A lightning, okay. lightning, lightning round. Okay. <laughs> All right. I like lightning so, round. So, Cindy, the answer's here. You get a yes or a no or a one-word answer, and people get to know you by kind of just right, your here answers here. So we're, Josh and I are going to share the... Water or dirt? Water. <laughs> Jazz or hip-hop? Jazz. Bullish or bearish on an S&P 500 for the remainder of the year? Bearish. Ford Lightning or Ford F-150? Ford F-150. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. Cash or crypto? Cash. You go. Net zero by 2050. Yes or no? NA. Okay. Not applicable. <laughs> What's there is no such thing. That's okay. what. Okay. What is it? Word. What's first? 34 or 6? 3% or 6% on the 10-year treasury? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, the 10-year... That's the hardest lightning round and question we've ever 3%. had. Three percent. Okay. Batman or Superman? Batman. Wonder Woman or Catwoman? <laughs> Wonder Woman. Does the UK, Ukraine-Russia conflict go into 2024? Sadly, yes. Yeah. Um, are we seeing inflation or deflation? Inflation. Shawshank or The Godfather? Godfather. And the critical question, Cindy, will the Texans win a Super Bowl in the next decade? Yes decade. No? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Forever the optimist. Cindy, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, buddy. Cindy Taylor, CEO of Oil States International. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, my friend. Yeah, enjoyed it. Thank and you so Pickering. much. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, ma'am.